Hello everyone, I'm Ken Cameron. And I'm Russell Stratton, and welcome to the podcast. In one of our previous episodes, we talked about um, why managers uh, don't tackle difficult workplace conversations. And one of the things that Ken and I had talked about was the, the reasons for this, one being that people have fear the reactions of their employees. And in our work, we've broken this down into four main uh, categories. Um, and Ken, perhaps you'd just like to uh, start us off with the first one. Yes, absolutely. The first reason, and it's kind of the most common that we hear from, is that people say they're avoiding this conversation because they're afraid of the per- that the person might get angry. They're afraid of the, that reaction that they might have. And it's quite common that you might be, especially when you're telling somebody that they're not measuring up or when you're telling them that their performance is uh, poor and that that might be jeopardizing their job, people can get defensive. And one of those most common reactions around being defensive is lashing out in, in reaction, in getting angry. So here's some of the ways that you can deal with that. When someone's getting angry in your general direction, then it's time to empathize and acknowledge that they're angry. And you also want to tell them that their justification for being angry is understandable. And you can usually use this phrase, I can understand why you're angry. Or you might say, I can see why you're angry. You might also say, you know, if I were in your shoes, I might be angry also. So uh, one way it really validates their feelings that they're angry. Then another reaction that you can do when dealing with that reaction is to repeat back what you heard them say. And try to repeat it back as accurately as you can. And it really helps to use the phrase, I heard you say dot, dot, dot. And repeat to them what you heard them say. And this is really helpful for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that it lets them feel that they've been heard. So if they've lashed out in your general direction or even at you or blamed you or blamed somebody else and are expressing a lot of anger, when you say, hey, I can understand why you're feeling angry. And when you then say, I heard you say that you were angry because X and then Y and also a little bit of Z. Was that right? Have I captured that correctly? It does a couple of things. It helps calm them down because they feel heard, but it also gives you the opportunity to itemize and process what you heard them say so that you can respond to those points. And then the third point is that even while you're speaking, your mouth may be moving and your brain may be focused on repeating those things, but your subconscious can be linking those together and formulating your response. So it's not quite the same as stalling, but it is giving your subconscious time to check up and catch up rather. And then it also, the next step that you can be doing when they're angry is look for something that the two of you can agree on. So once you've acknowledged their feelings, once you've repeated back what you heard them say, then it's time to look for the thing that you can both agree on moving forward. So if you can say, well, I think we can agree that it's had some repercussions that are damaging to everybody on the team. And I think we can agree that we want to blah, 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 as we maybe move forward. So then the you can at that point, you may have calmed them down enough that they're able to kind of see clearly and see logically. So those are three do's that you can do when you're dealing with somebody who gets angry. And here's one really big don't. Don't get deflected. Because your person that you're having the conversation with, they can often be using anger as a way of avoiding the issues, as a way around the issues. They know, they may, even if it's not conscious, they may subconsciously, in another part of the brain, know that if they get angry enough, you're going to back off and they're not going to be in trouble anymore. 
They may even be at a certain point at which they just want to get out of the room, or it may be that they want to get away with it, or they may be that, uh, you know, a, a piece of them just doesn't want to be in trouble anymore. But your job is not to let them off the hook. Your job is to solve the issue. So don't be deflected by their anger. And the strategies that we've given you help you not be afraid of that anger so that you won't get deflected. That's a good point, Ken. And I think one of the things that we should probably just emphasize to people there is um, whilst people are entitled to be be angry, they can be annoyed, there still has to be that respect Um for them as the employee and you as their manager, you know you have a right as their manager to um, draw their attention to areas of improvement in their their work or behaviour. So people can't be abusive towards you or threatening towards you either verbally or physically. And I think if that's the situation, then it was a time for somebody to remember their own sort of personal safety first of all uh, to exit the situation. And that may be occasion where there needs to be some escalation to your own manager or or to or to HR. And also um, knowing that your, not just your physical safety, but also your emotional safety and knowing what those boundaries are. And so you may need to um, suggest that the conversation might need to be on hold and that you might need to come back to it in an hour or the next day when tempers have had the opportunity to calm down a little bit. But again, let's go back to the don't let yourself be deflected. If you say that we're going to come back to it in an hour, then come back to it in an hour. If you say we're going to broach the subject again tomorrow, then broach the subject again tomorrow. And as early as possible in the day, don't let it linger. Don't let it hang for too long because then everybody is just uncomfortable, right? Again, don't let it be a deflection. So, Russell, an, another response that we commonly hear from people is that people feel that they're, uh, they're, that they're afraid of a reaction when somebody might be upset. So yeah. tell us what are some strategies to deal with the person who's upset? Yeah, for sure. And I think this is one of the things that we uh, we talk about in the book, but also one of the things that we um, have covered in our workshops. And I just want to say maybe just touch on our workshops for a moment for people that aren't aware um, that we run um, workshops for, for, for managers to look about how they can tackle difficult workplace conversations effectively. And we do this using a, a um, format called Forum Theatre for Business, where we have professional improv artists who uh, play the part of the difficult, in air quotes, employee, and the managers have the opportunity to practice using the process that we give them to um, effectively handle that conversation. One of the areas that we talk about is how they deal with the reactions that they get back from uh, the the actor. And I think one that is a, a, a one a strategy that can be used for both dealing with anger, as you've just spoken about, Ken, and also dealing with um, upset is the ability for taking the for having time and often allowing people that space to calm down, whether it's to get their anger under control or to calm down if somebody's got upset about um, what you've told them or the problem that you've raised with them to give them an opportunity to, to come. And we found that that's been an effective tactic that our participants have used with our actors when they've been simulating these conversations uh, and really see it working in real time, that just allowing some space, perhaps with neither party speaking, to allow people to calm down is a, is a good strategy. Um, one of the other things that we think about in terms of you know, upset and and often our, our our participants will say, well, they're sort of expecting the angry response. 
So at some point, this will come up in the workshop, and one of our actors will demonstrate that re- that reaction, so that they can, the manager can practice dealing with it. But probably a one that people, um, you know, are, dislike even more is that upset, particularly when it comes into crying. And I think a lot of us, um, and I, I would, I would in, include myself in this at times, you know, don't find it easy when you have somebody in front of you uh, who bursts into tears. And just not, particularly when it's not expected or, you know, you've come in there thinking, that, okay, this is going to be a difficult conversation. Uh, there could be some emotions running high. They, your expectation is the person is going to be angry and actually instead they just they burst into tears. And I think we've often seen, um, you know, uh, managers a little, a little bit like a, a deer in the headlights where they're sort of just like, oh, I can't believe this has just happened. Uh, what do I what do I do? Um, and you know, Ken, in the workshops we allow people to take a time out. And I think how many times has that happened when they immediately go, time out, time out. What what do I do? They've started crying. And of course, the beauty of the workshop is that we can pause the action and brainstorm ideas for solving it before we get back into uh, uh, the into the scenario. In real life, you can't just sit there and say, time out, you've started crying. I wasn't expecting that. So um, as I said earlier, you know, time and space is one thing that helps people uh, be able to get their emotions under control. I think uh, a second point is you know, giving people the permission to be upset. You know, it's it, 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 it's okay. You might have told them something that is either a realization for them of something that they've always deep down knew. Perhaps it was an area of their performance that's always been um, a challenge for them. Perhaps previous managers haven't talked to them about it um, and they've sort of felt they've muddled their way through. So I think there's an element there that uh, can come as a bit of a surprise. Um, also, there could be you know other factors outside of your knowledge at the moment which has triggered this. But one thing people don't want is that they feel embarrassed that they've shown that emotion in front of you. So I think it's key to um, you know show them empathy, allow people that time, give the permission. It's okay for you to be upset. And again, paraphrasing something that you said earlier, Ken, you know, you say I-, I can I can appreciate that you're upset about that. You know, and uh, you know, going one step beyond uh, just having a, pa- a box of Kleenex on the desk that you push across to somebody at the beginning of the conversation, as, uh, uh, as one of my uh, co-workers experienced that with their boss some years ago where they were talking about redundancies and as they came in, uh, their opening gambit was to push this box of tissues across the, uh, the desk to them and then say, I've got some bad news. Yeah. Probably, you know, meant in the best way, but didn't go down too well as the as the most empathetic, um, uh, you know, way, way to way to deal with it. I wouldn't imagine so. No, you know, one thing that I want to try to draw attention to for our listeners is the similarity between angry and upset for some people, and how they can be confused. There are a lot of people that their their angry response is manifested as crying. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're upset. And you've probably encountered this yourself as well, that you, you're talking to somebody, they're crying, and you're like, oh, I didn't know you were upset. And the person might respond with, I'm not upset, I'm angry. And they're just so angry that they're crying. And it's just some of the different ways that people respond to those strong emotions. I, so, I, 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 absolutely, Ken. I'm mean, just the, you know, I, I can remember an example with, with uh, uh, one of my younger daughter is very much like, as you know, plays... Um, you know, elite level subs hockey. And one of the things that uh, a previous coach she'd had some years ago never understood 
was that if they, you know if she felt played Bauer hadn't played well or something, she might be have tears in her eyes, and he would think that she was upset. What it was is that she was angry. She was angry at herself. She was angry at, at, at others. She was angry at him, and he never seemed to get this: the fact that anger can be displayed by somebody being 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 up uh, being tearful, as you say. The, the, the final thing I just wanted to pick up on there was again to, to what echoing what you said about anger is. Whilst we want to be empathetic, we want to give people time, we want them to allow them a chance to, to get their emotions in, in check, um, is to be aware that sometimes people use tears as a deflection tactic, particularly when they know that the manager is going to find it uncomfortable. So they know that you know, if, if you suddenly call me in for a you know, performance conversation, Ken, and I know that you're not particularly, you know, that isn't hypothetically speaking an area that you're good at dealing with with emotion. And I start crying, and I know that you're then going to say, "Oh, okay, Russ, let's not have the conversation." You know, you know, come back another day. Sometimes people will take advantage of that. So again, like anger, it's a genuine response that we need to treat as if it is genuine. Uh, but we also need to bear in mind that there is that small percentage of people who will use that as a tactic to get you to not have the conversation. And that's why, as you said before, coming back and saying, okay, we will we'll finish the conversation today, but tomorrow morning we're going to take the conversation back up again. I think that's important. I agree, Russell. I agree. The third kind of reaction that we want to talk about is the person who disagrees with the feedback. So this is somebody who can disagree with either the facts or they might be disagreeing that the problem exists at all. So let's take this reaction and divide it into two different parts. You might call 3A and 3B. So the 3A is the person who disagrees with the facts. So in this kind of an instance, if you've got somebody who who disagrees with the way in which this behavior occurred or the way in which this incident occurred, then your way of dealing with this is to give as many examples as you can. So, of course, that presupposes that you've actually done a bit of research and that you've looked into this and that you've actually looked for not just one example, but a couple of different examples of when this occurred. And then the second way in which you can be dealing with that is to probe for those areas of disagreement, like try to look for the fact that, try try to figure out what it is that you're disagreeing on. So you might say to this person, are we disagreeing that this incident took place or are we disagreeing around the details of the incident? And get them to articulate in real specifics what it is that they're disagreeing with or their version of the events. And then that's the third point is really just try to draw that out of them, draw out um, her or his version of the events. Now, the other ver- the other one, the two, the three B, is that the person might disagree that the problem even exists. So in this instance, then what you might want to be doing is articulating to them to explain why there's a problem. Um, why this kind of action is a problem at all. And you might do that by clarifying what the consequences are of their behavior, what the effect is, what the effect is on um, the company as a whole, what the effect is on um, them as a person, on their, uh, you know, their job, their performance review, or maybe even what the effect might be on the other people on the team. And then, but also make sure throughout both of these, make sure that you keep an open mind. 
Make sure that your facts are correct, because no matter how well you do your research, it may be that you've gotten your facts about this incident from some sort of biased source. It may be secondhand information from other members of the team. It might have been information that came from the client or from another outside agency. So it might be colored by some of their own um, facts or figures, or it may be that your employee was actually standing up or doing something that was in the best interest of your company. So just make sure that you keep an open mind around all of that. It's true, Ken. It's a, a, a an interesting one where we're where sort of you know disagreement is often what people expect. You know, they're they're going to be some disagreement, and I think they're linking to our fourth point, one that often people are not expecting, and sometimes I think this is the covert one. So you know, people sort of expect some disagreement. It could escalate into sort of anger or upset, but what they're not expecting is number four, which is people's just lack of interest, not concerned. And, and you know, and I, I remember being rather perplexed myself dealing with this earlier on in my management career in my early twenties of of having the you know being all prepared. And I you know I'd moved on from a, I've okay I've I've got an idea of what I'm going to say and I've got got my examples and I and I think we're going to be be good. And if they disagree with this, I can say X. And if they say Y, I'll say Z. And you know, I thought it was good. Um, and then when I came in to have the conversation, they basically just looked at me sort of deadpan and shrugged their shoulders and sort of said, well, so what? What's the problem? And it sort of took me a slightly aback because I'm then like, oh, okay, so is there anything for me to work with here? They're just totally not, you know, well, didn't you know you did this? And they just shrugged their shoulders again, you know? Yeah. So I think this is one that we, you know, that managers often can find some um, difficulty with because it's like, well, I, this one, you're not expecting it. And secondly, what have I got to work with? So one of the things that I would suggest people do here is, you know, try and link that feedback conversation back into uh, performance standards, the uh, job, um, job role, job description, what it is the person's actually employed to do, because if you've got a competency framework, for example, is another good way of linking back into, well, this is how you're not displaying these competencies or you're not fulfilling this part of your job. Uh, because if we can go back to expectations, then um, that's a way of saying, well, it should matter to you because these are, these are key elements of your job. Um, now, obviously, I need to put a bit of a caveat with that, and that is, if you've never gone through the expectations with your employees to start off with, um, it's difficult to draw them back to the expert their expectations partway through. So, you know, we can set ourselves up for success, particularly, and I'm thinking in the mind here of maybe we're new with the team, is that fairly early on we want to make sure we've got clear expectations. What I expect of you, uh, what you expect of me, what you expect of yourself. Um, and one interesting example of this was. Um, the Ken Blanchard companies did a, an, ex, an experiment with a group of managers and employees where they had sat all the managers in one room and said, you know, write out what it is that your each of your employees is responsible for. You know, what are their key job job tasks? And then they asked the employees to do the same thing. What is it that you're responsible for, your key job tasks? And then when they compared the two lists, you'd have expected a fairly high level of overlap. Well, there wasn't, you know, it was like a sort of 25% overlap. So again, back to that point and expectations is what managers thought their employees were supposed to be doing 
was not exactly what the, the employees thought they were supposed to be doing. And then you can imagine how that caused a problem later down the line. So to avoid that and get us back to people understanding what they need to do, why they need to do it, gets the expectations set, then hopefully that prevents the problem. If it doesn't, and then we get into this um, you know, difficult workplace conversation with somebody about performance, at least we've got some starting point to go back to the expectations and be clear, well, this is what's required of you. Okay, so that's that's the sort of first thing I would think about on there that has that work. Um, second point in there is the, you know, reinforce the message that shows the impact that their performance has on, has on the team. Um, and this is one of the things that we talk about in one of our models um, our beef model, what perhaps we'll talk about in a, in a uh, future podcast, but uh, is people understanding what the impact of what they do and don't do has on the greater team around them? And I think when you can show that, that pe- then people starts to, the light bulb goes on for them. Because often people will only look about how their job affects them. But when you show, well, if you don't do your piece of your job, that then impacts on the person to your left and the person to your right. They can't do their jobs. Then that starts to have a greater level of level of importance. And even if you're not bothered about you and your performance, they're bothered about their performance, and we're bothered about the team performance. So I think you know that that's a uh, another point that we can we can stress to people. And I think also linked into this is that um, once we can get people to understand the importance of what they're doing then it allows to get them more likely to be interested because our final part is if they can't get them interested in the importance for the team and for them, well, what's the impact for them if they don't do this? It's just that sort of giving people the bottom line. You, I mean, I've had this conversation with people. You said to somebody, you know, well, if you're not bothered, and they went, no, I'm not bothered, it doesn't matter about other people. And I said, well, okay. And they weren't, in, I'm not interested about whether this is for me to do or not. And I sort of had to go back and said, but if you're not bothered about you, ultimately, this is your job. This is what you're being employed to do. If you're not doing it, where does that leave you? And there was this sort of pause with them and I'm sort of, well, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. So, well, okay, let's go over it again. If you're not doing the job that you're employed to do, what does that mean? And he sort of laughed and said, uh, I don't have a job. It was a bit like, okay, <laughs> perhaps, the, perhaps the light bulb's gone on a little bit in there for him, but that, that perhaps that's something we needed to need to, to understand the serious of this. And I think that's not constructive dismissal, and we don't want to get into that, but it's about people understanding the impact, not just on others, but for their own job of them not doing what it is that they're supposed to be doing, which is, again, back to expectations. Thanks. Thanks, Russell. So we've talked about four different kinds of reactions today that you might be faced with when you're having one of these conversations with your um, unmanageable employee, and I'm putting unmanageable employee in air quotes, but the four reactions that we've talked about are the person who gets angry, the person who gets upset, the person who disagrees with the feedback that you're giving them, and the person who's uninterested or not concerned about the feedback that you're giving them. And those are the four different types of reactions that we talked about today in our podcast. And before we go, Russell, you wanted to offer one last comment about these unmanageable employees in air quotes. 
Well, well, that's right, and and that's the idea that we we often talk about people being unmanageable or being difficult, and 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 that's you know in the book we we have a section that says are people really effing unmanageable, and and the reality is is that the majority of people aren't. You know, if we don't want to necessarily look at people in that way, that they are unmanageable, because there are very few people that actually are. The majority of our people, and we see this time and time again, actually want to do a good job. You know, and I, and I often ask this, and you may remember it, where some of the workshops came, we say to people, you know, just by testing that statement in the room, how many people here want to do a good job? And I could even ask you of our listeners now, you know, think about it. Do you want to do a good job? If so, put your hand near. And the reality is 99.9% of people put their hand up and go, yeah, I want to do a good job. They don't come to work saying, I want to suck at my job. I want to come in. I want to piss off my boss. I want to be the most unpopular member of staff. And, of course, as I'm saying that, some of you are no doubt listening and going, oh, yeah, but I know that guy and we probably all know that guy, and if so, we're probably dealing with somebody who has more sociopathic tendencies, which is another issue itself, because the majority of people um, aren't like that. They, they want to come in and do a good job. Um, they want to be respected. They want to be, you know, they want to be liked. Um, they want to feel they're adding value. So in sometimes it's not the fact that thinking of people as unmanageable is unhelpful. Um, and if I just can, you have a great example of this from some work you were doing with uh, uh, Peter Hinton, I believe it was. Do you want to just tell us that story? Because I think it oh, really yeah, just sure. rounds this off. Sure. Um, Peter Hinton was is a, is a great Canadian theatre director, and I mentored under him when I was directing a project. And I also worked in association with him when he was the head of the, uh, uh, the English Theatre Department at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa. And he taught me something really important about, um, about people and about guiding people in general. He said, I don't believe in talent which is a really interesting thing for somebody who runs some of Canada's largest theaters to say, I don't believe in talent. But the reason he doesn't believe in talent, he says, is because it's not helpful. If he believes that this actor over here has talent and this other actor, actor B, doesn't have talent, well, then why did I hire actor B? And if I'm stuck with actor B, who I believe has no talent or has less talent, then there's nothing I can do for them because talent is this innate thing. So instead, what he feels is that everybody has talent. The challenge is that maybe actor B has something that is blocking them from expressing their talent fully or engaging fully with the project that they're working on or bringing their best to the table every day. And Peter views his job as finding out what that obstacle is and removing that obstacle with them so that that person can strive to bring their best self to the work every day. And I think that's a really valuable perception and perspective to bring when working with individuals. That's your job as a leader is to find those blocks and remove those obstacles. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Ken. I mean, it is that point of saying, you know, can we uh, help people be the best person that they can be in their job? And I think that's what we're trying to do um, with the work that we've been doing. And that's really kind of the purpose of the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast is to be able to help you and the people that you work with uh, bring their best to work every day and to help you remove those obstacles for the people on your team. So thanks for joining us today on the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast. 
make sure that you subscribe to our podcast on your podcast provider of choice, either that's effing Apple Podcasts or effing Spotify, so that you can be notified of when the next effing episode is available. And we'll talk to you then. <laughs>